Amen. Well, thank you, Michael and worship team. Um, and just welcome uh, to everyone who's watching. If you've joined in the last few minutes, uh, we are so glad that you found us. And if you haven't already, put your name in the comments. Let us know where you're watching from, how many people are with you. And if you haven't done it yet, hit the share button. And that's a great way to uh, invite somebody to church with us this morning. I also want to take just a moment and say thank you uh, to the families and the survivors of those we remember on Memorial Day weekend, those who fought for our freedom and did not come home. And so if you know someone uh, that fits that description, I hope that you'll reach out to them and extend uh, care and comfort and concern to them and let them know that you remember uh, today and uh, that we remember and are grateful for their sacrifice. As we uh, look into God's Word today, um, I'm, I'm mindful that we're wrapping up our In the Meantime series, and Memorial Day calls to mind an In the Meantime experience for a lot of people. And so we remember that and we think of that. And as I was reflecting on that this week and on uh, wrapping up this series this week, I was mindful of the fact that as a pastor, you sort of get invited into or sometimes thrust into the meantime moments of the people in your congregation or people that you know. And one in particular came to mind as I was thinking through and preparing for this message. I was relatively new in ministry. I had probably been a pastor for less than a year, and I was originally a, an associate in a large church staff. And so we were a large church uh, in a smaller community, maybe 50,000, 60,000 people um, in the community, but four or 5,000 of them probably called our church their church home. So when they would go into the hospital, they would put down Highland Park Community Church as their church home, uh, even if they'd only been there once for a funeral or if they were people that came on Christmas and Easter, that was who they identified as their church home. So we sent an associate or a pastor to the hospital every weekday because it was almost uh, a shoe-in that there would be at least one person there, sometimes two or three or four or eight uh, that were there and we could make uh, those hospital calls. And uh, so early on in my experience as a pastor, I went with another pastor in order to just kind of learn the ropes. And uh, I was thinking about it, we were talking about it, um, that he had come and visited our family during one of our in the meantime moments, one I've shared before when we were uh, thrust into a surgery for our six-week-old uh, child, when we had our first child and uh, had to have emergency surgery six weeks in, um, it was Don Riley who came uh, to the hospital to visit us as a pastor, and he was the one that was now uh, taking me through uh, the steps and helping me figure out how to find out where people were and be able to navigate all of those systems. And the first room that we walked into, um, I'll never forget, it was a pediatric uh, room in the pediatric ICU. And we walk in and they had those cribs with the metal bars that are easy to sterilize and everything. And, and there was little baby sleeping in that crib. And I was immediately brought back to when my firstborn son was was the little baby in that crib, and it was immediately a very emotional experience. And then there was a mom, and she was rocking in the rocker as the baby slept, and uh, and we started, you know, Don kind of took the lead, and he, he asked a few questions, um, 
and then, you know, asked, could we, could we pray with you? And I was fully expecting him to say the prayer, and he just looked at me and he said, I think you've got this one. Because he understood something in that moment that I was uniquely qualified to empathize and to understand and to comfort this mother, even though I didn't have all the pastoral experience and I hadn't gone through seminary and I wasn't necessarily prepared mentally, I had some unique qualifications. And I remember I walked into that moment and I prayed a prayer uh, that, that was a, an out-of-body experience for me, practically. It was the Spirit of God praying through me. And that created a bond between my family and this family. And we were able to walk through the next few years with them as they sought a diagnosis for an extremely rare autoimmune disease um, that, that their second-born child had. We were able to visit them a couple of times when they were uh, four or five hours away in Denver because we were also in Denver and we would go and see them and, and just created this really unique um, fellowship between us um, that I have come to refer to as the fellowship of the suffering. That those who have suffered in similar ways have a unique fellowship that they don't necessarily share. Um, with other people, and that those who suffer are uniquely qualified to minister to those who are suffering in similar ways. And I've seen this be true over and over and over again, that when someone who has been there, when someone who has been where you are, comes alongside someone who is there, comes alongside you in your meantime moment, it's powerful. It's powerful when someone who has been there comes alongside someone who is there. And that's why our grief share ministry here at Linwood is such a powerful ministry because people who have been down the grief journey circle back and walk that journey with someone else. And it's powerful and it's beautiful. And whether it's the loss of a spouse or the loss of a child or some other thing that propels us into grief, those who have been down that road are uniquely qualified. And comfort that comes from those who have been comforted is life-giving to those who need comfort, and it's life-giving to those who give the comfort. It's a win-win-win relationship. And so we're going to be looking at this idea of comfort today. We're going to be looking at this idea of comfort as not just, uh, you know, sympathy or a kind word, but what, what that word really means, to come alongside with strength. That when we come alongside with strength and we comfort others, it gives a purpose and a, a, a beauty to our pain when we then come back and come alongside somebody that's in the same pain. And so today's message is titled Comfort Zone, and uh, we're going to dive into that deeply. But where we're wrapping this up, I thought it would be good just to review one last time. In case you missed one or two of these messages, I would really encourage you to go back on our Facebook page or on our website at the media tab and make sure you catch up and don't miss one of these messages. We started out uh, five weeks ago with a message titled The New Normal. And fortunately, we got that phrase in there before it was completely worn out by social media and news media and everything else. And I know we're tired of hearing about the new normal. But the idea there was that in the meantime moments, we have to remember that God is not absent, He is not apathetic, and He is not angry with us in the meantime. And we looked at a passage from the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus addresses this in regards to the person of John the Baptist. 
And then in week two, we talked about the purpose and the promise of our meantime experiences. And that when we trust God in the meantime, it turns a breakdown into a breakthrough. And we considered Paul and his words on the thorn in the flesh from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And then week three, we looked at a message titled, Believe It or Not, because Believe it or not, it all comes down to belief. It all comes down to faith. And when we trust God in the meantime, we learn to endure and to mature in the meantime. You must endure to mature. And, and we want to become, as James talks about at the beginning of his letter, we want to become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And it is the meantime moments of our lives that move us into that direction. Then on Mother's Day, we had a phenomenal message from Pastor Sandy where she looked at Hagar and her story from the Old Testament and this unshakable reality that God sees us in the meantime. God sees us. God sees you in the meantime. And God sees you even when life makes it difficult to see him. And then last week, we tried to tackle this question of if God is good, why is there evil and suffering in the world? And we came to the conclusion that God is good in the meantime, period. He is good. And we must learn to allow his goodness and his sovereignty to define our meantime rather than allowing our circumstances to define his goodness and his sovereignty. And so if you think through this, four of the five messages have been New Testament messages from New Testament writers who not only endured tremendous hardships, they expected them. They fully expected to suffer. They fully expected to encounter evil and suffering. And it, it got me thinking that expectations really define a lot of our reality. If I, if I turn out of Linwood's parking lot and head home down 57th Street and expect to not hit a single red light the entire way home over four and a half miles down 57th Street, I'm probably going to be sorely disappointed. And it's the same to go through life expecting no evil, no suffering, no difficulties, no trials. We have to learn to expect these so that when they come, they don't knock us for a loop. Matthew, Paul, James, and Peter, they all expected to encounter difficulties, to encounter trials. In fact, Jesus says in John uh, sixteen thirty three that in this world you will have trials, you will have tribulations, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so today we're coming back to the Apostle Paul, we're coming back to the letter of Second Corinthians, where we've already spent Uh, some time in one of our messages. And we're coming back to look at what Paul offers to us as not only a way through the meantime, but a way out of the meantime. And so if you haven't already done so, I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to walk through verses 3 through 7, verse by verse. And then at the end, we'll read them all together in one uh, statement. But this is a a powerful, powerful passage for us, whether we're in the meantime or whether we're coming out of the meantime. And we can all hope that, that we are sort of coming out of this collective meantime experience, at least to some degree. We've talked a number of times about how we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And we recognize that in a congregation this size and in a community this size and in a world this size, that people are experiencing this in very different ways, whether that's through personal illness or 
somebody you love becoming ill, whether that's financially, whether that's with your employment situation, or whether that's just with the disruption and the isolation that this has brought about. We've all been sort of in the same storm, even though we're in different boats. But this addresses us all. And Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he opens this letter in somewhat of a similar fashion, uh, but slightly different, and that's why it's worth paying attention to here. He says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And it's those two phrases that I want to look at here in verse 3, that God is the Father of compassion and the God of of all comfort. And keep in mind, this is Paul opening the letter of 2 Corinthians with these two phrases to describe God, the same God that he will talk about in chapter 12 that we looked at a few weeks ago, the same God that he pleaded with over and over to take this thorn in the flesh away. The same God, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. And so we see Paul, just as we saw Peter and James and even Jesus, believing in a God who allows bad things to happen to good people. But as I mentioned earlier, comfort in this passage, God of all comfort, is not just sympathy. It's not just a a hallmark card. It's this Greek word in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, paraklesios, Paracleseos. It's on the screen behind me. And maybe you've heard at some point in time a teaching on the person of the Holy Spirit. And that that word that we translate as Holy Spirit in several places in the New Testament is the word paraclete. Paraclete. And here we see paracleseos. And it's referring to the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the advocate, that God the Father is also the God of all comfort. The Holy Spirit comes and has promised to never leave us, to never forsake us, to be with us in the midst of our meantime moments. And that word paraklesios can be translated as as courage or strength or one to come alongside. But I love this, this translation or this uh, definition that I found of empowering empathy, an empowering empathy that comes alongside, that says, I've been where you are. That's what empathy is. It's, it's a feeling the same as the other person. And it comes alongside and it says, I've been where you are. I can feel what you are feeling. I enter that feeling with you. I enter that pain with you. It happens every single week in Grief Share as people come alongside and they say, I've been where you are and you're going to get through this. Even if you don't believe it right now that you're going to get through this, I know you're going to get through this because I've been where you are and I got through it. The God of all comfort comforted me, gave me an empowering empathy in order to empower others, in order to come alongside with courage and come alongside with strength and come alongside with fortification. And so that's who we're talking about as verse 4 begins, that we are talking about the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And it's interesting, I don't know about you, I won't speak for you, but I can speak for me that when I'm in the beginning of a meantime moment, I'm not asking for comfort. I'm asking for it to stop. I want it to stop. I want it to stop right now. And my prayers early on in COVID-19 as all of the 
disruption to, to daily life started to take place and to the financial situation and to people that I cared about losing their jobs or being furloughed or, or just businesses shutting down. I wasn't necessarily praying for comfort. I was praying for it to stop, just make it go away. And yet, Paul instructs us to pray for comfort. He says he is the one who comforts us in all our troubles. You can count on comfort. You can pray for comfort and you will receive it. Because he has sent the comforter to be with us, to live within us, to walk with us along the way. And sometimes comfort comes from God's word. And sometimes comfort comes in prayer. And oftentimes comfort comes in the form of another person to come alongside us and to walk with us. And he gives us, God gives us this comfort for a reason. We see that in the words, so that, so that. Important, important words. Every time you see them in Scripture, you should circle them or underline them because they are critical in showing us why, showing us what the purpose is. So the reason that the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort comforts us in all our troubles is so that we can then comfort others in any trouble. He comes alongside us with strength so that we can come alongside others with strength. God comforts us in the meantime so that we can come alongside others in the meantime and bring comfort to them. And so this is the difference between delivering us from, which is what I usually pray for, and delivering us through. That God comes alongside and there is tremendous healing that comes from circling back and walking through that pain with somebody else a second time through or a third time through. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others in their troubles. And he continues in verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. You see, the sufferings of Christ flowing over into our lives is basically saying what we have suffered, Christ suffered. He suffered infinitely. He suffered cosmically for all people in all times when he went to the cross. And when he was nailed to the cross, and when he was crucified and given as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he did that for us. He suffered everything that has ever been suffered. And so we know that, that he suffered, whatever we have suffered, Christ has suffered. And last week we talked about this idea that Christianity is the only religion in the world where the object of worship voluntarily became the subject of evil and suffering. Christ, who we worship, who we sing to, who we say your grace is enough and it's your breath in our lungs and great is your faithfulness. He suffered evil and suffering voluntarily on our behalf. And that's the only religion in the world where that is the case, where the object of our worship became the subject of evil and suffering for us. And so there's this interesting relationship between the comfort we have received and the comfort we're able to give. Our capacity to comfort others is determined in large part by the degree to which we have been comforted. The degree to which we have suffered and been comforted by God in those moments. And you know this to be true. You know this intuitively because when somebody has been where you are, and they come back and they walk through that pain, through that suffering, through that grief with you. It's powerful. It's unique. They have a presence 
in that moment, they understand when nobody else understands. And they are able to truly empathize because they've been where you are. And so when we think this through and we bring it to its logical conclusion, Christ suffered infinitely and therefore he can comfort us infinitely. He can comfort us through his word. He can comfort us through his spirit. He can comfort us through each other, through the fellowship that we enjoy together. Verse 6 sort of brings this to a conclusion in verse 6 and 7. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance in the same sufferings we suffer. If we are distressed and comforted, basically, it's for you. Paul's saying this, and, and he went through a great deal. In fact, if you read the next three verses, 8, 9, and 10, you see the suffering and the hardship, and you can read about it in the book of Acts, and you can see all that Paul went through. And he's saying, basically, if we suffer, if we are distressed, it's for you. It's for your comfort and your salvation, that people were being saved through his ministry. And he was able to see that and able to understand that. And he's basically able to say, you can make it because we made it. You can make it because we made it. You can make it through persecution because we made it through persecution. And we can say, you can make it through loss. We can come alongside somebody who's experienced a tremendous loss. And we can say, I know it feels like you're not sure you can make it through this. But I guarantee you, you can. And I'm going to walk through it with you. You can make it through sickness, through chronic or terminal disease. You can make it through unemployment. You can make it through a miscarriage or the loss of a child. Or through divorce or through financial ruin. You can make it because I've made it. And when we as a body come alongside each other in the areas where we have suffered and we are now uniquely qualified, then we can say to somebody, you may not believe this right now, but you can make it. Because I made it. You can make it. And Paul says that this will produce in us a patient endurance. A patient endurance. And that's what James said, that we must, mature, we must endure to mature, that this patient endurance brings about maturity in us. It makes us mature and complete. And Peter said that, is, that faith that has been tested is worth more than gold, more than much pure gold. We must endure to mature in the meantime. And when we mature, we come back and we help others endure to mature. And this is how the body of Christ is designed to work, that we come back and we walk through that with somebody else now that we are uniquely qualified to do so. Verse 7, And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort, that there is a direct relationship that as we come together as people who are suffering together, we are being comforted together, maybe by each other, maybe by God, through his Holy Spirit, through his word, through prayer, but we are being comforted by the God of all comfort. And God designed comfort as something to be received from him and to be shared with others, that we are channels for his comfort to flow through us to other people. Not that we just, you know, store up as much as we possibly can, but that we actually receive more comfort from God and more healing from God when we come back and walk through those difficult seasons with somebody else. He comes alongside us with strength and courage and empathy so that we can come alongside others with strength and with courage and with empathy. 
So with all that in mind, as we have walked through each of these verses and seen how this all fits together, I want to read this whole passage to you, and I just want you to listen. And I want you to clear away any distractions, and I want you to to just maybe even close your eyes and listen to this beautiful paragraph as Paul wrote it to the second to the church in in Corinth. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Our bottom line this week is that you can comfort others with the comfort you received. In the meantime, and where we're all in a meantime experience together, we can comfort each other with the comfort we have received. We can encourage each other. We can come alongside each other. We can strengthen each other with the comfort we have received. And with those individual, unique meantime moments that we go through in life that are more specific to a a season or a loss or a trial, we can comfort others who are in the meantime with the comfort we received in the meantime. We have been uniquely qualified, uniquely gifted, and uniquely called to bring that healing to others and to ourselves. And so I want to bring it all back to to Amanda and to the little baby boy who's now over 10 years old and who received a bone marrow transplant that his older brother was able to, to give to him. And now lives, by comparison, a relatively normal and healthy life. He still has to manage his care, but, but his quality of life has, has improved tremendously. And what I love about that is, is that Amanda, this, this mom that I met over 10 years ago, has started a blog that hundreds of families who are going through their own meantime moments with difficult uh, circumstances related to their children's medical needs are able to read and be encouraged. They started a Superhero 5K, which is an annual fundraiser for for this type of of event. And, And they found a number of different ways to come alongside others and to provide hope and to provide encouragement to others in the meantime. And their family has become just a phenomenal story of this passage being lived out. And so it strikes me that my blip on the radar screen, like we had Keaton and... He was perfectly fine for four or five weeks, and then for a week he threw everything up, and we got more and more concerned. And then he had his surgery, and three days later we walked out of the hospital, and he's been pretty much fine except for a few broken bones ever since. But the the powerful principle is it's not a competition. Like just that moment of having been in a room like that before and having gone through and asked those questions before, helped me to be uniquely qualified to minister to her in that moment. And so, don't miss those opportunities to come back and to comfort others 
in their meantime moments. Because God uses everything that we surrender to him. When we surrender our meantime moments and we become willing participants in God comforting others through us, he can use that and he can use that in a powerful, powerful way. And so as we bring this a little bit closer to home, I want you to think, is there someone you know who maybe is going through a trial similar to one that you have experienced? A loss similar to a loss that you have experienced. A transition in life that they didn't ask for that you have also gone through. Can you come alongside them? Can you offer a word of encouragement? Could you get involved in our grief share ministry and come alongside others who are just entering that? You can start grief share anytime. It's not progressive that you, if you don't get there on week one, you've you, you got to wait for it to come back around. You can start grief share at any point and start coming alongside. Or if you're in need of that comfort, grief share is a tremendous way to find that. We really believe that this ministry could grow and could grow significantly. And it's going to need additional leaders and it's going to need additional people that are willing to come back and walk through that grief journey with others. That's just one way. There may be others. There may be something less formal. There may be somebody that's a coworker or a neighbor or a family member that God is laying on your heart right now. And I want to encourage you to pick up the phone, to send a text, to write the email, to send a card and offer to come alongside or just acknowledge in that moment, I see you. I see your pain. I know that it's real. I've experienced something similar. How can I help? However you choose to respond to this message, my hope and prayer as always is that you'll respond in faith. Maybe you're feeling, I need to reach out. I need to reach out and allow myself to be comforted. I don't need to get through this on my own. I need to engage God's community to help me through this. However you respond, respond in faith. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are indeed the God of of all comfort, that you are the Father of compassion, and that you comfort us in all of our struggles so that we can comfort others as they go through their meantime moments. We thank you and we praise you for the comfort that you have given to each and every one of us, even in this meantime, for the ways in which you have encouraged us, for the ways in which you have strengthened us, through your word, through your spirit, through the times when we have drawn near to you. And we pray now, God, that you would show us and give us opportunities to return and to walk alongside others and to give them the same strength, the same encouragement that we ourselves have received. We love you, Lord. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.